Good morning, everybody. It is good to see you all. I did not see you all um, last week. I um, um, had one of these elusive Sundays off. Um, for it's it's almost kind of like a snow day um, for for pastors when you get a Sunday off. It's uh, like you love 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 I love 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 being here with y'all. But also it's it's this thing that we kind of talk about sometimes. Like, what would you do if you had a Sunday off? You know, and sometimes we like to go to other pastors' churches, and sometimes we say, oh, well, go get brunch. And um, this past week, I was in um, Raleigh um, working with our conference board of ordained ministry as part of that, and then flew out to um, Denver for, uh, for three days of um, continuing education and speakers and kind of getting, you know, drinking from a fire hose. And then on Sunday morning, I, um, I uh, slept in at the, um, my little hostel room at the YMCA of the Rockies, and then I hiked around Rocky Mountain National Park. So um, so thank you so much for um, uh, sharing. We thank you as your pastors for sharing us with uh, with the conference to, to, to serve that way and to learn and be enriched and also have a little time to just kind of <sighs> exhale um, and be in God's world. Um, but our, our scripture today, it's appropriate um, that we have been um, racing. I, I am not a fast um, runner or walker. Um, I may take a minute off my time of 51 minutes for next year. Um, that's not fast, if you don't know. Um, but our scripture is about a race or about a journey, about a trip, about, um, about moving forward. And so I invite you to, um, to hear the word of God from Paul's letter to the Philippians. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we thank you that you have made us your own. We thank you that... um, that you have called us to run this race, to take this journey, even though we don't know where it will bring us. And we pray that you would speak to us in this moment, and may the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, for you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. You never quite know what you are going to experience at the end of the road. 
I have a friend who um, has this legendary family vacation. I think I've gotten like three sermon illustrations out of her family vacation. Um, it, it, it served not only her family, but me very well. Um, they were teenagers, and they were on one of these national park trips that every parent thinks is a great idea, but often looks better in the pictures um, 20 years later than it felt in the moment. <laughs> So my friend and her two sisters, who were all teenagers, um, they had driven with their parents from, um, uh, from Florida um, to um, Arizona, to the Grand Canyon. Uh, her sister, Madeline, was very over this trip. Um, she was very over this trip. Um, she wanted to be doing anything else other than hiking down to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. Um, and so she said, I don't want to do this. Please don't make me do this. And then her dad, in a moment of um, possible, um, possible moral uh, weakness but parental strength, um, decided to tell one of these little white lies. Um, he said, Madeline, what is your favorite place to go, um, to, to go eat? And she was like, Cold Stone Creamery. And he goes, do you know? that at the bottom of the Grand Canyon, <laughs> there's a Cold Stone Creamery, and I'm going to get you whatever you want. And she goes, oh my gosh, yes, awesome. So, you know, so they're going, they're going. It's one mile in, two miles in, everything like that. And about three miles down, and she's looking at the dirt, and she looks at her dad, and she goes, you've lied to me. There is not a Cold Stone Creamery at the bottom of this canyon, is it? And he goes, no, there's not. It's very beautiful. She goes, how am I ever going to trust anyone ever again? <laughs> She's 35 now, but they still tell that story. <laughs> at Christmas, about the time Dad convinced Madeline that there was a Cold Stone at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. But here's the thing. When you go on a trip, you never know what is going to be there just around the bend, Right? There's all sorts of exciting things. It's the stuff that stories are made of. Uh, family stories, it's never the, and then we had a really nice day and a nice meal. Nothing went wrong. The car didn't get a flat tire. You never tell that 20 years in the future, do you? It's always the crazy thing, the unexpected thing, the surprise, the delightful thing that is just around the corner, that is just around the bend. I, as many of y'all know, am not a runner, um, but I do enjoy hiking. It's kind of, my, um, kind of my athletic ability of choice or athletic pursuit of choice. I uh, don't have a bucket list, but I do have a goal to visit all 61 of America's national parks sometime before I leave this mortal coil. Um, I love national parks. I have one of those little passport books that they sell to get you to give more money to the national parks if you're a white lady in your 30s. Um, it's got a little thing where you just stamp it. You go and you get a stamp. You could do this with a notebook or a sheet of paper, but somehow the tiny little passport that I always forget at home, and then I need to buy extra stickers to get the stamp to later put in my passport, right? But there's something about national parks that um, they're one of the only wild, some of the only wild places that are still there. You see signs like moose crossing and avalanche potential, next 10 miles. Um, 
there's a little bit of danger, and also you never quite know what you're going to see. I was, um, after I was drinking my coffee um, with my, um, my feet propped up um, in, let's see, I think about 38 degree temperatures last Sunday, um, I decided to, um, to go into Rocky Mountain National Park. It was about 2 p.m. by the time I got my act together um, because I was really enjoying my Sunday off. And so I went, and it's a beautiful time of year to be, um, to be in the Rockies. I had never been there before, um, but I had been in other places and seen the aspen trees um, turn from green to yellow, and their flat leaves just quiver and dance in the wind. Everyone else had had the idea that it was a great time to go to Rocky Mountain National Park um, at 2 p.m. on a Sunday. And so here I was waiting in my Mitsubishi rental SUV, and there were approximately 39 cars ahead of me. But it was so beautiful, blue skies, and you see these mountains. Um, and, and I thought, wow, what a great view. And so I started getting out my phone and taking pictures of the mountains. Have you ever been with a person who will not stop stopping the car to take pictures? I am that person. I'm sorry. It's always like you have a pullout, and you take a picture, and you take another picture, and you're like, this is the best the view is going to get. It cannot possibly get any better. Um, but here's the thing. The view gets better than the line of 39 cars in front of the visitor center. And yet, I've got 15 pictures on my phone of all those cars. I pulled over and I thought, man, what a gorgeous view. I need to capture it. It can't possibly get better than this. Spoiler alert, it did get better. It got better when, we climb, when I climbed up to about 8,000 feet and then to about 10,000 feet and went around the bends. You're always stuck at the first couple pull-offs because everybody's got to get those pictures in right now. But then you're up there above 11,000 feet at the tundra. Who even knew there was tundra in America? Where during the winters, the winds will go at 100 miles an hour, blowing snow all across the land above the tree line. It was incredible. I was accidentally up there for a sunset. I did not plan this. The view kept getting better. The view was never the best in the rear view mirror. It was always getting better. There was always something more, something more beautiful, something more stunning, something more surprising just around the bend. I don't know if the Apostle Paul, um, the writer of today's scripture, ever visited the first century equivalent of a national park. He was always riding in ships and getting shipwrecked and hiking on roads like the road to Damascus and getting knocked over by a light from God. And so he probably had spent a lot of time outdoors. But when he wrote the scripture, this letter to the church at Philippi that we read this morning, he was not out of doors. Philippians is a weird uh, little book. It's delightful. Um, it, it makes you think that he must be um, just living his best life, doing his thing, drinking his coffee by a fire. Um, but instead, Paul was locked up in a prison. Um, for proclaiming the gospel, and most scholars think probably didn't ever get out again. And yet the book of Philippians is so joyful. 
it's so hopeful, um, despite all of the circumstances that Paul was living through. And so it's in, with that in mind that we read what Paul says, this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Forgetting what lies behind, I mean, for Paul, all the good stuff lies behind, right? Like, all of the things, like the, the meeting God in a vision on the road to Damascus, spreading the gospel throughout the world, you know, not being chained up. The good stuff is all in the rearview mirror, right? Like you should look at your pictures and remember the good memories and just kind of like dig your heels in and suck it up. And, um, but there's not really anything else good coming, right? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like um, it's a good thing you have the pictures and the memories from the past because you're kind of on the way out? (laughs) Some of us may feel like that literally, right? That because of a diagnosis or a health issue, both either chronic or terminal, you just need to make your expectations more reasonable. Be an adult. We have these dreams when we're children, and then we realize when we're adults that those dreams are not really going to come true. Sometimes the more rational among us will say. Or remember the time that your kids were little and snuggly, or that wonderful Grand Canyon family vacation in which everyone was happy all of the time. The marriage, the spouse the church that you loved back in the place where you grew up, or the pastor that you loved at the church, or this or that or the other, the way all of your friends were together, the way you didn't hurt quite so much. It's easy to live life and to be like, I'm going to look back in the rearview mirror and see the best days are behind me. I think it's kind of a natural human thing, right? Um, Paul doesn't actually literally forget what lies behind. Like, he writes over and over in his, um, in his letters um, about his life previously, about um, who he was and how God turned him around, about God's faithfulness. We are a people who are called to remember the past, but we are never a people who are called to recapture the past. Because in the kingdom of God, the best days are never in the rearview mirror. They are never in the scrapbook. They are never in the past. The best days are always ahead of us, somewhere around the bend. I um, read a story a couple um, couple months ago about a, um, a an orange juice plant in a national park in Costa Rica. It was one of these places that had been deforested, um, in which like the trees and the canopy cover and everything had just been. Um, um, just been cut down to the ground. It was one of these places that everybody said, well, you're not going to want to go here. It's kind of done. It's canceled, this you know, piece of land. Um, and these two scientists decided, let's do an experiment. And so they had um, contacted um, an orange juice company and said, we will let you dump your orange juice pulp and, um, and uh, peels and all of these things for free right here in this national park, because what else are we doing with it? And so they dumped it. The trucks came, and they dumped 12,000 metric tons of orange juice stuff. I can kind of smell that. It smells like it might be, you know, like a good citrus aroma. Um, 
They dumped it there in 1997, and then 16 years later, they sent a graduate student out to find the place where the food waste had been dumped. They had put up this sign, right? Like a sign, and they're like, this will be easy to see. The letters are in yellow. It's bright. Um, the graduate student went around and walked around, tried to find um, the placard, and could not find it. Then the professor said, no graduate student. It didn't just disappear. Go look again. And so the grad student went and looked again. And uh, when he returned a week later and confirmed he was in the right place, he was stunned because there had been this former pasture land with nothing there. And the sight of it, he said, was like night and day because there were two dozen species of vegetation that were thriving in this place. Um, there was this um, funny little endangered creature called the teria. I'm probably saying that wrong, um, but it was there. And then there was this fig tree that had grown up that was three feet in diameter. They said all of these people could have climbed up this fig tree. This was, it was thriving, it was growing. It was more biodiverse than it had ever been before. It was supposed to be dead, but then it was alive again. Its best days were supposed to be in the past, but nobody told God, right? There's an executive with GE by the name of Doug Dietz. He um, had won an award for MRI design. Who even knew that that was a thing? MRI design. But he was awarded the best MRI designer award um, in the world, or the United States. It was, a, it was an MRI design award, y'all. I don't know how these things go. Doug Dietz went to a hospital, a children's hospital, to see how one of his designs were working, to, to, to feel good about himself, about what he had accomplished, right? Um, and so he went. And as he went, he saw a child who was receiving an MRI. Um, and as he sat there, he watched the kid cry and cry and cry and have to be sedated in order to go into the MRI machine. It's not a pleasant experience going into an MRI machine. I've never been, but I have lots of people I love who have. And Doug Dietz learned that there were 80% of kids who have to get an MRI that have to be sedated. And so Doug Dietz did not care anymore that he had won an award for his design because there were children that were crying, and he said, there has to be some better way to do this. And so he set to work. He decided that he was going to make an MRI that would not make children cry. And so he designed, with the help of this team, a series of theme park MRI machines. Um, the first one was a pirate cove theme. And so they changed everything. They painted it. They had treasure boxes and, like, all sorts of little things. They, um, the kids could get a prize out. And they said, okay, you're going to walk the plank. You're going to go into the MRI and walk the plank, and you've got to listen because the ship is going into like hyperdrive and you're going to hear this boom, boom, boom sound. You've got to listen for it. Doug Dietz watched one day as one child went through his MRI and the kid looked up at his mom and he said, Mom, can we, can we ride again tomorrow? <laughs> he could have just rested on his laurels. He could have just said, I'm the best MRI designer in the whatever. And yet... There was something ahead, there was something more, there was something more surprising, more beautiful that was out there. Something that God wanted Doug Dietz to do to be God's coworker 
in making beauty in this world. Friends, I don't know what you may, um, uh, what, what view you have, whether you are looking in the rearview mirror, looking back on something, trying to recapture something, trying to moderate your expectations and not expect too much. And yet, Scripture tells us, God tells us that God is always surprising us, that God is always taking both our failures and our successes and bringing us to some place better, right? It's all over Scripture that Abraham thought he was in his way out of life. He thought that he was just going to retire, and God called him to a new land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and to be the father of the entire Jewish people. There was a a widow, a lady in a town called Zarephath. Um, Say that three times fast. There was a famine, and she remembered these beautiful days with her son, and all she had was like a little bit of food left, and she said, we're just going to eat this food, and then we're going to die. And then God sent her a prophet, and so that oil and that flour never ran out, and she never, ever doubted the provision of God. The people of God thought that they had the best days in the rearview mirror. They thought that they had turned away one too many times. They had gone into exile. They had lost everything that they thought um, that God was blessing them with, and they were not going to have no more blessing in the future. And then the prophet Jeremiah wrote them a letter, wrote them a letter and that included these words, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Friends, in the kingdom of God, The best days are never in the photographs. The best days are never in the rearview mirror. The best days, the hope, the surprise, the wonder that God has for us is always somewhere just around the bend. I was um, at my last couple um, hours at Rocky Mountain. I had soaked it all up. I had uh, bought my postcards. I got my little stamp. I had um, done all my things. And now I was like, well, I'm done with my trip. I had texted all my friends about how my trip was great. I was like, it was great. And then I left. I decided to take um, a different road out of the park. Um, And even though it was dark, Uh, It was going to be dark going back into Denver. I thought, well, I can't take the same road twice. That would be boring. And so I went, and I'm driving along on this little road. It's about uh, pretty near sunset, kind of kind of cool outside. I had my puffy coat, and I was like, everybody in North Carolina is at. It's like 98 degrees back in Wilmington. (laughs) Listening to music, and then I saw these cars stopped ahead of me. They were parked, and they were looking out on this meadow, and they were looking for the elk. I did not know anything about elk, friends. I did not know that elk were um, 700 pounds or that the elk mating season was right when I was there. It's a little bit rude to watch other animals court one another. We wouldn't want them to do that to us, but, um, but there were the elk. And um, I, so I'm driving. I was like, oh, what an interesting thing. Um, and then as I am driving... I look and I see something on the hillside, and it jumps out. It's maybe as far as Jan is from me right now. Something jumps out, and it is a 700-pound elk, and then another, and then another, and then a baby elk, and then another baby elk. There were five elk, 10 elk, 15, probably 25 elk that just ran in front of my car, scampered in front of my car. 
I took a video with my phone and I was like, I'm in an elk traffic jam. Um, <laughs> it was the best thing of the whole trip. Um, then I drove over and I heard the male elk do his bugling call that he does to impress the lady elk. And I took another picture of a video of that. And I said, man, I was on my way out. Friends, sometimes we think we're on our way out of life, of situations, of the good days, of whatever. But God calls us to forget what's behind and to strain forward to what's ahead, to that prize that is more surprising, more wonderful than we could ever imagine. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>